Welcome. Thank you all for coming to Letters Read. Letters Read in partnership with Antenna Gallery. I, stationer Nancy Sharon Collins, present this ongoing series of readings bringing you guys little-known local heroes through the vehicle of their personal letters found in archives and repositories here in the Crescent City, such as this one. Thank you, Loyola University New Orleans Special Collections and Archives for hosting. Thank you, you can do it. Corey <laughs> Croker. Croker, yes, who also brought us the first letters read, the letters of Lafcadio O'Hearn last March. That reading set the tone and taught me, as the producer, quite a lot about presenting archival information to the general public. <clears throat> Letters that are presented are edited and often excerpted heavily because some of the letters go on for two and three pages, single space. <laughs> While preparing this event, I saw the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary and could not help but compare her to our subject, Janet Mary Riley. Despite strong prejudice against lady lawyers a half century ago and before, both became practicing attorneys and both worked fearlessly and tirelessly for civil rights, overturning and helping to overturn major equal rights judgments in our nation's highest courts. Both had strong male advocates, amongst others. Ruth had her husband and, according to one source, male. Riley seemed to be mentored by Dean Papale, or Pap, as she referred to him, and by Father Toomey. One noteworthy difference, Ruth was born 1933, and Janet was born in 1915. Imagine being born before women could even vote in this country. A few facts about our hero. She was a teacher, librarian, and full professor. Her legal brief presented almost in its original form overturned four convictions in the landmark 1963 Lombard versus Louisiana United States Supreme Court decision, setting civil rights precedent. To Riley's most renowned success, the state of Louisiana finally overturned our head and master law in 1980. More about this as follows. I now introduce you to Curie, Curie Croker for a brief introduction to this collection and then our reader Leslie Bowles Krauss and MC Chris Kamenstein. Okay. So welcome to Special Collections and Archives. I am a registrar and archivist here. My name is Kuri Croker. <laughs> um, and Nancy asked me to give you a brief background on the Special Collections and Archives as well as the papers that are the source material for the reading. So I typed something up so that I could get it all out quickly. Um, we collect printed materials, archives, and manuscripts. Our printed materials are primarily related to the Society of Jesus, Loyola University, and the City of New Orleans. But we also have artist book collections as well as rare editions of fiction, poetry, and nonfiction. Many of the collections in our archives are the product of the Loyola community and its resulting networks. The collections range from the unpublished letters of Lafcadio Hearn, to hurricane tracking charts of local television meteorologist Nash Roberts, 
with much more to explore in between. <clears throat> but more directly, we're here um, about the papers of Janet Mary Riley. And there's some finding aids for the collection on the tables if you want to look at them. It's basically itemized lists of everything that is, that's in the collection. Her papers principally reflect her academic career, including documents on the courses she taught and her vast university service. A significant portion of the papers document her efforts with the Louisiana State Law Institute to revise antiquated community property laws, otherwise known as head or lord and master laws, contained in the civil code. Riley's work on other cases, issues, and her involvement with other institutions are a smaller part of the collection, but are some of the more readily interesting items. These materials address her views on the Equal Rights Amendment, family law, civil rights, social justice, First Amendment rights, among others. They also highlight her involvement with the regional committees and organizations in the state city. <clears throat> Through Riley's own voice, both by the curation of the exhibit on display, so there's an exhibit about her all around you, um, in this reading room, and the performances this evening, we are seeking to showcase her achievements through her own words. Thank you to Nancy Sharon Collins and Antenna and the Letters Read for bringing her voice to life. Act 1, 1948 to 1952, time and again Riley writes respectful letters of complaint to her superiors pointing out in detail inequities in her rank and salary as compared to her male peers and those with comparable qualifications at other institutions. November 23rd, 1948, Reverend Thomas J. Shields, S.J., President, Loyola University, New Orleans 18, Louisiana. Dear Father Shields, Dr. Miller tells me that you were displeased at the tone of my letter to him. For this, I am terribly sorry and wish to assure you that I had no intention of offending. I apologize for writing more forcefully than I intended. What I meant to say in that letter was that, apparently through oversight, the additional qualifications requested of a person holding the position of law librarian, that is, the legal training and teaching, were not considered in framing the new classification plan for librarians. Because the university has always been eminently fair towards its staff and intends to be objective now, I trust that the final status of the position will recognize its difference. I have been devoting myself to the study of law at the dean's request because of proposed accreditation requirements. At the end of this semester, I will have one year of credit in law. I have appreciated the opportunity because it is interesting, but I have no ambition to use legal information elsewhere. It is valuable to me only here. If I gave you the impression that I want to leave Loyola, I surely used the wrong words, for I would rather work here than anywhere else. It is a good, good feeling to be a part of something I believe in as strongly as, strongly as I do in Loyola's purposes. When I told you two years ago that I hoped to retire on the new pension scheme, I was and am sincere. I regret anything that gave a contrary impression. Your sympathetic consideration of my position is respectfully requested. Respectfully yours, Janet Riley. Copies to Father Toomey and Dr. Miller. Uh, November 29, 1948, Miss Janet Riley, School of Law, Loyola University. Dear Miss Riley, I thank you for your letter of November 23rd expressing your loyalty to the university and stating that you would rather work here than anywhere else. I am glad to know that you feel this way and want you to know that we are happy to have you with us. Trusting that your position as law librarian will be a source of happiness to you, and with every good wish, I remain very sincerely yours, Thomas J. Shields, S.J., copies to Father Toomey, Dr. Miller. 
April 11, 1949. Dear Dr. Miller, Father Shields verbally agreed with me two years ago that I could sign a series of six one-year contracts, each to include an increase of $100 per year. May I have the third of the one-year contracts instead of this one for three years? Thank you. Sincerely, Janet Riley. Uh, Reverend Thomas J. Shields, SJ, President, Loyola University. Dear Father Shields, I have just received a note from Dr. Miller telling me that my contract should be in your office by Monday, so I am mailing it from LSU and trust you will receive it by then. Oh, this is August 5th, 1950. Jumping back. However, I am signing it and at the same time hoping that the rate of increase will not remain as stated for the entire three years. Janet Mary Riley. August 4th, 1951. Dean A.E. Papale, Loyola University School of Law, New Orleans, Louisiana. Dear Dean Papale, this is a recapitulation of the things we talked about as factors that affect my contract. I just thought you might find it convenient when you do reopen the question of renegotiating my three-year contract to have a written reminder of our conversation and other points. Mr. Papale, I have deeply appreciated your interest and sympathy, and even before you were dean, your encouragement to me in my studies. Of course, you know that I want to be a part of this law school that I have grown to love and to work with you for it. Your encouragement for my future here was very good news. Please help me to get the adjustment which is already overdue in the present. Very sincerely, Janet Riley. Copy to Father Toomey, awaiting his return. Loyola University, Office of the President, May 29, 1952. Dear Miss Riley, attached is employment agreement offered to you by Loyola University. Please sign and return all five copies to this office. After completion, one copy will be returned to you for your record. Sincerely, I.A. Timrick, Executive Secretary to the President. Employment Agreement. Agreement between the Board of Directors of Loyola University, party of the first part, herein referred to as the university, and Janet Riley, party of the second part, herein referred to as the party of the second part. The university agrees to employ the full-time services of the party of the second part for the year, 1952-53, with the rank of assistant professor, and to pay, therefore, the sum of $3,500, 1953-54 with the rank of assistant professor, the sum of $3,500, and for the year 1954-55, rank of assistant professor, the sum of $3,500. This agreement shall extend from August 1st, 1952 to July 31st, 1955. June 11th, 1952, Very Reverend W. Patrick Donnelly, SJ, President, Loyola University. Dear Father Donnelly, for the past six and a half years, my career at Loyola has been working toward a culmination which will be reached on October 4th this year when I expect to receive a law degree. I have earned it at the encouragement and request of my dean and the president for the one purpose of better fitting myself for my position at Loyola as librarian of the School of Law. In a letter from the president to the law dean with a copy to me dated November 15th, 1948, I was informed that my rank of assistant professor, quote, provides for an annual raise of $100 up to and including the maximum of $3,600 per year, end quote. At that time, I had earned 20 semester hours of the 72 required for a degree and was taking another five. 
I asked whether there was any way that I could work myself into another category in order to exceed that maximum and was told that by earning further credits in law, I would be reclassified and not limited to the maximum of, for my category. But no special salary increase was ever given me because of it. In August, under my present contract, I will receive $284.66 per month. In October, I will receive the law degree. Respectfully yours, Janet Riley, copies to Dean Papale and Father Toomey. July 2nd, 1952, Dean A.E. Papale, School of Law, Loyola. Dear Mr. Papale, when I spoke to Father Toomey about my contract three weeks ago, his first question was concerning the salaries of the law librarians at Tulane and LSU. At that time, I did not know what they were. I have not attempted to find out two lanes because there is no one there is in a position exactly comparable to mine. The situation at LSU, LSU is not exactly like mine either because the librarian has a JD and legal experience and a larger library to administer. However, her duties, though on a larger scale, parallel each of my duties. LSU Law Librarian, 1949 to 50, $4,500, 1951-52, $5,280. Another piece of information. Quote, in 1948, Miles O. Price, law librarian of Columbia University, reported the results of a questionnaire which he sent to the librarians of 90 of the 105 accredited law schools, from which he received 71 replies. The average salary of head librarians with both law and library degrees was $4,500. For whatever this information is worth, I give it to you. I trust you can use it to help me. Sincerely, Janet Riley, copy to Father Toomey. Employment agreement. Agreement between the Board of Directors of Loyola University, party of the first part, herein referred to as the university, and Janet Riley, party of the second part, herein referred to as the party of the second part. The university agrees to employ the full-time service of the party of the second part for the year 1952-53 for the sum of $4,000, 53 to 54, $4,000, 54 to 55, $4,000, October 24th, 1952. Act 1, this is 1953 to 1962, Janet Mary Riley passes the Louisiana bar. Dealing with other matters in her direct, thorough, and ever-polite manner, Riley navigates an untoward neighbor, mixed feelings about her vocation, and job opportunities outside Louisiana. November 6, 1953. Mr. David V. Bernstein, 3905 Louisiana Avenue Parkway, New Orleans, Louisiana. Dear Mr. Bernstein, it is my understanding that you have recently purchased the lot next door to my home at 3519 Octavia Street. My mother and I will be happy to meet our new neighbors. Of course, we are hoping that the house you plan will be only one story because ours is, and we have enjoyed the light and air and privacy of much space beside us for years. There is one matter that is very important to us, which, on which we will appreciate your thoughtfulness. If you plan to air condition your house, we will consider it good of you if you will locate the machinery where it will not disturb us. <laughs> Our home is not air conditioned and probably will not be for some years, if ever. Even if we do air condition parts of it, we will probably not air condition the bedrooms. The windows must be open except in cold weather. Our immediate neighbors on the other side of our house are my sister's family. Their experience with the air conditioning machine of the brick house next to them has shown us that it is not the kind of noise one can get used to. 
The windows of the air-conditioned house are always closed, mm-hmm. so that the noise does not disturb them, but only the neighbors. I am saying this before construction begins, mm-hmm. realizing that it is easier to face a problem before it is created than after, and in the hope that there can be the least difficulty for all parties. My mother, Mrs. John Nichols Riley, who owns our house, and I, are looking forward to knowing you and your family. Very truly yours, Janet Mary Riley. <laughs> Janet, I had Father Toomey read this, and I told the president about it by phone. PAP. University of Oklahoma, October 6, 1953. Miss Janet Riley, Loyola University. Dear Janet, there will probably be an opening for an assistant law librarian here, and I am bringing this to your attention in the event that you may be interested. The salary range is 3600 to $4,800, and the starting figure will depend upon individual qualifications. Sincerely yours, Mortimer Schwartz, librarian and assistant professor of law, University of Oklahoma. October 8th, 1953, Mr. Mortimer Schwartz, librarian and assistant professor of law, University of Oklahoma, Norman, Oklahoma. Dear Mort, thank you for letting me know of the opening for an assistant law librarian. It was really thoughtful of you and flattering to be remembered so. However, I cannot find myself seriously interested at the present time. I believe that Loyola holds a pretty good future for me as well as a satisfying present. Sincerely, Janet Mary Riley, law librarian and instructor in law. 11th March, 1954. Dear Miss Riley, some kind friend has had mailed to me the entire Mardi Gras series of the New Orleans item. Since there are three people in your general area who might have been so thoughtful, I am using the event as an excuse to write all of them. If you sent the papers, thanks. If you didn't, I'm writing anyway. I shall take them home tonight and go through them carefully. I sent your name in for a library job two or three weeks ago, one which I thought you could handle and which you might be interested. I wonder if you got a nibble. A girl was wanted, and preferably a southern one, which seemed to fit you admirably, and the job was worth $5,000, which is pretty good for the South. I have been busy since Los Angeles and not in the best of condition, as I overdid out there and have been paying for it since. Nothing serious, however. Sincerely, Miles O. Price, Law Librarian, Columbia University. April 16, 1954. Mr. Miles O. Price, Law Librarian, Columbia University. Dear Mr. Price, By this time, you must have located the kind friend who mailed you the Mardi Gras series of the New Orleans item. All I can say is the same thing I think after so many conversations. Now, why didn't I think of that? Mardi Gras was even more fun than usual this year, with comparative peace in the world again, and it does seem too good not to share with the people we wish were here and who we know have the capacity to enjoy a rousing good time. I can't believe I've let a month go by without answering your so welcome letter, but the calendar insists it's true. There are all kinds of excuses, none of them good enough. A few days away for the Louisiana Library Association Convention. Another couple of days away for the State Council meeting of the Louisiana League of Women Voters. Several days devoted to cramming contracts to substitute for the dean in his classes because he had to be away to make a speech and other things. Another several days devoted to researching a legal point for the president of the university. I have so many more uses here since I finished the law degree and passed the bar exam. The usual overwork of the one woman in a one-woman law library. Another reason for my delay was the hope that I could tell you that I had gotten a nibble as a result of your sending in my name for a library job where a southern girl was wanted for $5,000. But the fact is that I have not heard anything at all from them. I suppose they found another person who filled the requirements. I hope some other southern girl is happy in a new job. I seem to be heading in 
two directions at once here at Loyola, toward becoming a teacher or staying a librarian. The dean has indicated that he might offer me the next opening as a professor if the university authorities would not object to a woman in that capacity. That, that is why he is asking me to substitute for him whenever he goes. Thanks again for remembering me. Sincerely, Janet Mary Riley, law librarian and instructor in law. Loyola University, March 5th, uh, March 1st, 1955, PAP. For days, I have been intending to tell you about my turning down another job, but you always look so busy that I hated to disturb you for something that is not important. They asked me to come for an interview for the job of medical librarian at the Veterans Hospital. It starts at $4,205 and by automatic increases reaches $4,900 in five years. This is only an assistance job as the hospital librarian supervises both medical and patients libraries, but the assistant is in special charge of the medical collection. There was a day when that kind of work would have interested me. I enjoyed being hospital librarian at Lagarde Hospital and the day when that salary looks good is still here. But since Loyola has made me into a law specialist, my field is much narrower. I would feel that I was not making the proper use of myself if I left it now. I'm still here and wondering whether I'm making the proper use of myself here, but I can't go back to medical libraries now. Janet. March 16th, 1955. Dear Anne, I trust you've not been disbarred for non-payment of dues before I got around to answering your letter. You said, ask the dean what he thinks about not paying while out of the state. His answer to me was to look it up in the Articles of Incorporation of the Bar Association, as quoted in the Professions Volume of LSA. So, of course, I put it off. Quote, inactive members shall not be required to pay dues. Emphasis mine. End quote. Section 5, reinstatement of inactive members. Any inactive member may be reinstated to active membership in good standing by complying with the law. I'm still completely confused about where I shall be working next year. Pap wrote to the president about raises but hasn't had an answer. I've not yet been offered a renewal contract and don't know whether to expect one. Taking your advice, I wrote to the chief judge of the Fifth Circuit. He was in Houston. He answered that he expects no vacancy in the library, nor in any other court position, but will grant me an interview when he returns. Um, Iota Chow Chow, International Legal, Legal Sorority for the Advancement of Women in the Legal Profession. Janet Mary Riley, Law Librarian, Assistant Professor of Law, Loyola University. Dear Professor Riley, thank you for your letter of November 8th in response to my letter to the Dean relative to the possibility of establishing a chapter of Iota Tau Tau in your school. I appreciate the frankness with which you have written and agree with you that it seems unlikely that another legal fraternity at the present time would be successful in view of the small number of students which you have. I do, however, wish to dispel any doubts which you may have regarding the policy of IOTA. From the very time of its foundation, membership has been based upon the scholastic attainment and good moral character of members pledged. IOTA has never discriminated as to race, creed, or color. Because it has been a non-sectarian organization without discrimination, it has appealed to many schools where we have established chapters. Should enrollment grow in your school at some future time, we trust that you will accord us the opportunity of endeavoring to interest some of your students in our sorority. Very sincerely yours, A. Viola Smith, Supreme Chancellor. November 12, 1962, Miss Kathleen Lilly, Secretary, Honor Society, Ursuline Academy, 2635 State Street, New Orleans, 18, Louisiana. 
Dear Miss Lily, please accept my apologies for delaying my answer to your letter. The pressure of work has prevented my attending to it sooner. Also, every time I tried to draft a short letter, as you requested, telling how my Ursuline education helped me to prepare for my career, it would develop into a long letter with much left unsaid. Never once during my four years at Ursuline College did I suspect that I might someday become a law professor at Loyola University, but that is where I am today. Yet it was one of our Ursuline mothers who first planted the thought in my mind. When I was at Ursuline between 1932 and 1936, Nazism and fascism were new to the world, and disillusionment with communism had not yet set in. A frightful economic depression was affecting all our lives, and the false promises of these isms were attracting many people, especially college students. We at Ursuline were taught to recognize that it was not possible to choose either one of these extremes, that fundamentally they were similar, that one word, totalitarianism, described both, that our choice must be between such systems which enslave the individual, or those systems, including democracy, which recognize that the state exists to serve the individual by using its God-given authority to create an environment in which he is assured those freedoms necessary to work out his salvation, for instance, freedom of speech and of religion, freedom from oppressive inequalities enforced by law, the freedom of fair trials, and freedom from unreasonable police searches. Such an understanding of the function of government and the development of a social consciousness are necessary attributes of a lawyer. It was on the small, quiet campus of Ursuline College and not always at the big universities, that the truths upon which this world must eventually rest were taught. But Ursuline never succeeded in teaching me how to say all this in a short letter. <laughs> Very sincerely yours, Janet Mary Riley. Act 1, 1963, Lombard versus Louisiana. Um, uh, argued November 5th, 6th, and 7th, 1962, decided May 20th, 1963. In 1964, people, three of them African-Americans, were arrested after they sat at McCrory's lunch counter reserved for white customers. They were fined $350 each and sentenced to 60 days in jail. Janet Mary Riley was part of the defense legal team and wrote the brief for the Lombard versus Louisiana case that was heard by the United States Supreme Court, which overturned the arrests. The case was one of several that became precedents for striking down segregation laws and practices. Act two, 1964 to 1972. Civil rights, Riley makes full professor, takes vows, and becomes object of spite. In 1964, the Civil Rights Act was signed prohibiting discrimination of all kinds based on race, color, religion, or national origin. 1966, Riley takes first vow, Society of Our Lady of the Way, a pontifical secular institute of working women. Members take vows of perfect chastity, obedience, and poverty, promising to devote oneself to one's calling. It is this absolute faith, Riley's calling, that enabled her strength, patience, and the fortitude required to fight uphill batters, battles for equal justice under the law. In the words of Riley's student and friend, Clay Latimer, herself a feminist activist, Janet Mary Riley never gave up. 1971, Riley is made full professor of law at Loyola and takes final vows in Society of Our Lady of the Way. 1972, Riley appointed reporter, counsel of the Louisiana State Law Institute to revise Louisiana community property laws and becomes the subject 
of spite, i.e. someone tries to screw it with her head. Louisiana Bar Association, February 21st, 1964. Miss Janet Mary Riley, Loyola University School of Law. Dear Miss Riley, I am wondering what you think about some section or committee devoted exclusively to the distaff side of the bar. Some of my female acquaintances are interested, some are completely disinterested. My concern is that all of the lady lawyers be given complete opportunity to participate in the work and activities of the association and I would appreciate your candid comments. Very truly yours, Bascom D. Talley Jr., President, Louisiana State Bar Association. March 12, 1964. Mr. Bascom D. Talley, President, Louisiana State Bar Association. Dear Bascom, no thanks. I do not want a special section or committee of women members of the bar. It was sweet and thoughtful of you to suggest it, and even more so to ask us, instead of just going ahead with the plans as you might well have done. And I thank you, but no. Several years ago, I had a conversation with a judge in Queens County, New York, who was horrified to learn that women attended our bar meetings. There, he said, they had their own bar association and, quote, we don't interfere with them and they don't interfere with us, end quote. I would consider development of such an attitude in this state as a truly backward step in professionalism, not only for women, but for the men too. And I fear that once we had a special section of, or committee, such a ghetto attitude might result. I have no objection to a purely social hour for women lawyers during the annual convention and announced as such on the program to facilitate our getting to know each other. Socially, we are women. Professionally, we are lawyers. Sincerely, Janet Mary Riley, Associate Professor of Law. Louisiana Bar Association, 14 March 1964. Miss Janet Mary Riley, Associate Professor of Law. Dear Miss Riley, thanks so much for your frank and candid comments. There is nothing like making sure. If you think your views are positive, you should have the views of my own lawyer sister. They are even more positive. My letter was stimulated by what I considered an inadequate participation in association affairs by the distaff side of the bar. Thank you. Thanking you for your time and with best wishes, I am sincerely yours, Bascom D. Talley, Jr. August 3rd, 1965. Dear Miss Riley, this year the Loyola Law Wives Club made a tremendous step forward. Next year we hope to advance even more. We feel, and we hope you do too, that our existence is not only important but nece necessary. We are trying to help our husbands to complete law school. In an indirect way, our motto could be, a happy wife makes a happy law student. If this is not totally correct, I'm positive the reverse would be true. An unhappy wife could certainly make an unhappy law student. <laughs> this is why we feel our club is necessary. Our club has four main objectives. One, to be a social organization. Two, to promote a better understanding of the legal profession. Three, to cooperate with the Student Bar Association and the School of Law. Four, to sponsor a charitable deed. And my purpose in writing you is to ask you to be our club sponsor if it meets with your approval. If you will notice, functions are alternately spaced for wives and couples. We are in the process of checking with the law school schedule so as not to interfere. I will be speaking with you in the future. Thank you for your cooperation. Sincerely, Janet Zeldin. And then what follows is an attached yearly schedule from the Loyola Law Wives Club. Um, and these are events for either wives or couples, which include things like uh, meeting and punch party, meeting and speaker, Halloween party, uh, Christmas dance, meeting and sherry party, Mardi Gras social meeting and card party, fall stiff roof party, and family swim party.
August 9, 1965. Mrs. Janet Zeldin, 2027, Calhoun Street, New Orleans, Louisiana. Dear Mrs. Zeldin, of course, I'm happy to accept your request that I serve as sponsor of the Loyola Law Wives Club. You are correct in recognizing that I'm very busy and perhaps you are expecting more direct help than I will be able to give. But if you want me anyhow, with the understanding that I will help when I am asked, insofar as time permits, I know that I will enjoy the relationship. I am proud of the honor you do me and hope that I can be helpful. I am totally sold on the purposes of the club, being completely convinced that an understanding wife can make the difference that makes the struggle worthwhile for struggling law students and for lawyers too. Sincerely, Janet Mary Riley. May 5, 1972. Judge Harry Lemon, Court of Appeal, 4th Circuit, 210 Civil Courts Building, 421 Loyola Avenue, New Orleans, Louisiana, 70112. Dear Harry, thank you so much for sending me a copy of your interesting dissent in the case of Brown v. Brown. I cannot comment on your remarks concerning burden of proof without seeing what the majority said, as the facts are not entirely clear to me. It was good seeing you and Marianne at the convention. Cordially, Janet Mary Riley. Professor of Law. May 5th, 1972, Mr. Charles Watley, oh, membership. Oh, sorry, this is still, still Janet. <laughs> Mr. Charles Watley, membership director, Playboy Book Club, Lemoyne, Pennsylvania, 17043. <laughs> Dear Mr. Watley, I did not order the books you sent me, nor did I apply for membership in the Playboy Book Club. I will not honor the bill you sent me. I will return the books if you send me the postage. Sincerely yours, Janet Mary Riley, Professor of Law. Uh, Playboy Book Club, Lemoyne, PA. Dear member, I have concluded after reviewing your account that our requests for payment have made very little, if any, impression on you. Your complete indifference to our attempts to get you to pay the overdue balance has forced us to initiate action to turn your account over to our collection agency. A collection a- agency not only has authority to collect the full amount owed, but I can also, but also can resort to court action to obtain payment of a long overdue account. If you cannot settle your account in full now, we ask that you send us immediately one half the total due, together with this letter signed below, indicating that you will pay the remainder next month. If you are not financially able to pay this bill now, one alternative remains, and that is for you to return to us the items for which you are being billed. Very truly yours, Charles Watley, Membership Director. October 16th, 1972, Playboy Magazine, Playboy Book Club, Lemoyne, Pennsylvania. Sirs, as I have previously written to you, I did not subscribe to your book club. I offered to return the books if you would send the postage. You did send the postage, and I have returned the books weeks ago. If your collection agency damages my credit rating for a bill that I did not incur, I will seek redress. Very truly yours, Janet Mary Riley. Act 2, 1974 to 1980. Uh, Riley states, then changes her stand on the Equal Rights Amendment, works instrumentally in the fight ultimately repealing Louisiana's head and master law, and becomes a feminist hero. So 1971 to 77, the Equal Rights Amendment um, approved by House of Representatives, the Senate, and is ratified by all but five states. Riley becomes reporter, Council of the Louisiana State Law Institute Committee on Revision of Louisiana Community Property Laws to Repeal Head and Master. Um, The Head and Master Rule within Louisiana Civil Code gave the husband sole control over community property or everything a husband and wife acquired while together. 
Janet Mary Riley spearheaded the cause to change the code for equal management and division for both parties, uh, partners. 1978, the National Organization for Women, uh, NOW, coordinates <coughs> successful march of 100,000 in Washington, forcing Congress to grant an extension until 1982. The ERA was never ratified. 1979, Louisiana legislature repeals headmaster law. 1980, changes go into effect January 1, and Riley becomes a local feminist icon. This is a 1976 letter to the Louisiana legislature. The old saying is that it is a woman's prerogative to change her mind. But just as when a man changes his mind, there is usually a good reason, a change in circumstances. The national picture has gradually but surely changed since Congress in March 1972 sent the Equal Rights Amendment to the state legislatures and I took a stand against it. I must change with changed circumstances. I now endorse its ratification. I have always been in favor, of course, of legal equality of the sexes, but felt that ERA was not an appropriate method to achieve that end. Because ERA was, in March 1972, unnecessary, the United States Supreme Court, having only four months earlier at last recognized that constitutional equal protection forbids unreasonable discrimination on the basis of sex, I feared an in extreme interpretation of ERA to forbid any state or federal action recognizing sex differences. I have no interest in preventing reasonable discrimination by federal or state action. I still think it would have been better if ERA had never passed Congress in March 1972 and had never come before the, the state legislatures, but it did. Since then, ERA has become the very symbol of equality of the sexes before the law. This having become so, its failure of ratification may be interpreted as constitutional authorization for a return to the pre-1971 narrow construction of equal protection. I now fear its rejection may result in the opposite of the extreme interpretation I had previously feared. Now, its failure to pass could be used to rationalize a serious setback in equality of rights when sex is the basis for difference in governmental treatment. It should not have become necessary for citizens under our Constitution to have need to restate the obvious, that equality of rights shall not be denied by state or federal governments on account of sex, as this is a principle basic to God-given human dignity. But in the present climate, when the demand for that statement is so loud and clear, silence, or the failure to affirm the obvious, invites misinterpretation, a rejection of the principle itself. An extreme judicial, uh, judicial interpretation in either direction is a danger now. Four years ago, I thought only one extreme was likely if the status quo could have been maintained. The status quo of four years ago is gone. As unnecessary as it ought to have been for citizens to restate what their highest court has already said for them, they, we, have chosen to say it again in a more permanent fashion in the symbolic Equal Rights Amendment, immune from changes in court personnel. We have chosen the danger of re-expressing a principle rather than the danger of silence. It is unfortunate that extremists, both for and against ERA, have clouded the issue by fuzzy and frequently inaccurate statements. I have been embarrassed at the presumption that I agreed with some extremist opponents, and will be embarrassed at the presumption that I agree with some uh, uh, that I agree with some extreme, extremist proponents. Most of us on both sides are sincerely searching for true equality under the law, free to be what we are without suffering state or U.S. imposition of disadvantages nor privileges because of what we are. ERA is not a panacea. panacea. 
a scary word, panacea. Unfair law must still be legislatively amended or judiciously, judicially attacked. The changed circumstances that raised ERA to symbolic status have been gradual. My change of position came about gradually, too. My friends among the opponents know that I have not joined their organization nor per permitted recent circulation of my views written two years ago. I have tried for a year or so to keep out of the ERA struggle, working directly for revision of unfair laws. But legislators must vote yes or no and deserve an expression of opinion, even from those of us who are burdened by being able to see some danger in each direction. They and we will just have to trust that United States Supreme Court justices will reasonably interpret the Equal Rights Amendment as an integral part of a great constitution in light of contemporaneous citizen attitude that favors statement of a principle. ERA, as a symbol of equality, is needed, and equality requires that you don't have to be a woman to change your mind. Janet Mary Riley. Our Lady of Holy Cross, Marionite Provincial House, 4123 Woodland uh, Drive, New Orleans, Louisiana. January 19, 1980. Dear Miss Riley, the new year was indeed a cause for rejoicing among Louisiana women as the new equal management law becomes effective. Though we women religious will not directly be affected by this change in Louisiana law, we rejoice with our sisters across the state who will experience the economic and social changes brought about by it. We join the women of this state in expressing our heartfelt gratitude for the great effort and contribution which you have made in the formulation and subsequent passage of the new law. Indeed, Isaiah had you in mind when he wrote, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am pleased. Upon her I have put my spirit. She shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making her voice heard in the street. A bruised reed she shall not break, and a smoldering wick she shall not quench until she establishes justice on the earth. The coastlines wait for her teaching. I, the Lord, have called you for the victory of justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I formed you and set you as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations. Your courage and commitment are a source of inspiration to us. Sincerely, Sister Mary Bertel, Provincial President, Marionite Sisters of the Holy Cross, Sister Judith Gumilla, Chairperson, Justice Committee, Sister Clarita Borg, State Coordinator, the religious lobby. Under separate cover, we're sending you a token of our appreciation. Epilogue. It's me again. Thank you all for being here with us. Allow me to insert a few thoughts about the ongoing series, Letters Read. We are now in the far side of the second season. This was our seventh performance, for which I am very grateful. Tonight launches a sub-series in which Okay, you can all laugh me out of the room, <laughs> but Letters Read will cover all of civil rights here in New Orleans. Kind of audacious, well, yeah, but here how, here's how it's going to work. By definition, Letters Read brings little-known personal moments to general audiences through readings by professional artists of material in special collections that otherwise few would ever read. Simple. If you think of it this evening, again thanking Janet Mary Riley and Loyola, in these letters we introduce original source material for the following topics in New Orleans history that I hope bring first-person perspective to highly contentious 
and complex issues. Equal Opportunity Employment, African American Civil Rights, and Women's Rights. The goal for Letters Read is to present this original source material to new audiences, all y'all, and the hope that it inspires conversation. I hope we've inspired some interesting thoughts and foster some conversation. Thank you all very much. And if anybody has any questions, I don't know if we have the answers, but <laughs> feel free. <laughs>